Hi, I'm Sam Fesich from the EduMagic Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of My EdTech Life. It is an honor and a pleasure to be here with you all today on this beautiful Saturday morning here in South Texas. And again, as always, from the bottom of my heart to all of you, thank you so much for making My EdTech Life what it is today. Thank you all always for your support. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast, sharing our content, sharing you know all these wonderful episodes. And all the learning that you know ha- is available to you. Thank you so much for your reviews. And as always, so thankful to every single one of you. And today I am really excited. I have a wonderful guest that is here who is joining us. And many of you may already be familiar just seeing him here on the screen. Some of you may be seeing him on TikTok or on Twitter. He is very active, wonderful teacher advocate. And today we're going to be talking about a topic that is really kind of in in his area of expertise, as it is something that he did study through his doctoral studies. So today, I would love to welcome Dr. Kevin Lightman to the show. Kevin, how are you this morning? Thank you so much for having me. I'm great today. It's uh, actually a sunny day in Ohio right now where I am, and uh, we don't have a lot of those left. But, you know, we already had our first snow, which is crazy uh, to think about, but we're there. So I'm uh, I'm excited to enjoy a nice sunny 70s kind of day, and then uh, we're just going to bundle up and get ready. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Kevin, for being here on the show. And again, I am a longtime follower, a fan of your work, and obviously, you know, being able to make that connection not only on Twitter and LinkedIn, but on TikTok, where really, you know, you really put out some great, great content and, you know, just the way that you handle yourself and not only in this uh, subject that we're going to be talking about, which is teacher burnout, what it is, what it isn't. And so we'll have that conversation. But the way that you also carry yourself with, obviously, you know, sometimes you get people that put up comments that just don't understand or are just, you know, being trolls and whatnot, but you handle it so well. But the wealth of information that you share there, I definitely recommend that if you're not following Kevin on TikTok, make sure you follow him there and on all social media. So Kevin, let's go ahead and get started with this conversation. And as you know, anybody that is a guest on Maya Tech Life is somebody that, like I mentioned, I look up to, I love their work, and I want to amplify their story. And I also see it kind of like a superhero origin story. So I always love to begin with that, the Dr. Kevin Lightman origin story, and talk about your journey through education. So first of all, I'd like to ask, was education something that you knew you wanted to do, or was it something that you kind of fell into and then, you know, just grew in it? Well, I, I don't talk about this too often, but uh, my mom actually has, uh, if you remember from elementary school, if you had to do the little flip books every year, uh, you know, make a story and at the end, it would be like about the author. What's your favorite food? Pizza. And, you know, that kind of stuff would go through. And they always ask, what job do you want when you grow up? And there might have been like one year when I wanted to be a policeman or a firefighter or something like that. But pretty much straight through elementary school, I want to be a teacher. I want to be a teacher. Uh, nobody in my family has really been in that education space. And I don't know why I was so drawn to it. And when I look back, I'm like, you know, Some of the reason is I had some really excellent educators that I looked up to 
And I'm like, oh, I want to be like them. I want to be doing the work they're doing. And then the other half of it was there are some educators that didn't really help me when I thought they should have and didn't really give me what I needed. So I was like, I want to be the voice that kind of changes that narrative and helps educators become, you know, that first group, not that second group. And I actually struggled a lot academically. Uh, I barely graduated from high school. I was uh, towards the bottom of my class, bottom 10%. I begged and pleaded my way into college. I dropped out of my first college, uh, tried again, and I actually failed out of my second college. I was at the Ohio State University. Uh, didn't do so hot there. So I ended up packing up my 1.7 GPA and saying, you know what? I guess I'm just going to like work a minimum wage job and save up and hope I do okay. And eventually, you know, after talking to some friends and some family, they're like, you know, I thought you wanted to be a teacher. I thought, you know, you had this whole uh, vision. And I was like, you know, I should really give it one more shot. So I made some adjustments in my own life. I kept pushing forward and I got into a university of academic probation, small school out in Dayton, Ohio, and uh, ended up on the dean's list. Went from there to grad school, went from there to a PhD. So I, I think I had such a well-rounded experience coming into education where I could see how easy it is to fail. I can see what steps it took for me to be able to succeed and what support I needed outside of myself. And I think that helped craft who I became as an educator. Wow. You know, and that's such an interesting story because what I love that you said there is highlighting here what you said at the end, your journey, such a well-rounded journey, and you saw things through different lenses, and then you saw what it is that you needed and what you weren't getting either from educators going up K through 12, and then of course in higher education. So I think sometimes, you know, coming in with that vision and seeing that, then you can really identify and see what it is that we're going to be talking about, which is teacher burnout. Like, what is it that could be done? That What is it that we can use or educators or principals, excuse me, or administrators can do to alleviate some of that. But first of all, we need to know what teacher burnout is. So if you can go ahead and just share a little bit about your experience with this, what would you say is a good definition of teacher burnout? So the definition I typically use is like five paragraphs long and just, it, it's uh, a little too specific, I think, for my taste, but I'm trying to work on condensing it. Really, the big points of burnout is that it starts with a passionate commitment. So you don't burn out from something that you don't care about, right? You have to be emotionally invested in it. You have to want to be great at that thing. And it could be anything, but you have to have that initial drive. And then there are things that happen in that profession that don't allow you to access the feelings that you wanted to have from it, the rewards you wanted to get. And when I say a word like reward, it's not like money or you get a present or something like that. Usually it's that intrinsic reward of, you know, maybe working with a student and watching them turn their life around and, you know, have some awesome benefits in their life. So you can't get those rewards. You can't figure out why. And then what happens is all of the passion that you have, that commitment that you have to the profession that's not being fulfilled becomes pervasive. So it follows you everywhere. It, you feel it in every aspect of your life. So you go home, you're still thinking about work. You're still thinking about how do I help these students? How do I make this better? How do I deal with all the responsibilities of my job? So what you get in that boat 
that's the burnout. It's the, I'm really passionate. I want to do well and I can't. There is a barrier or usually like in teaching many barriers in the way. And I can't seem to break down that barrier. And I'm just butting my head against it every day, spending all my time, all my energy, and it's not working. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, everything that you said there, I can kind of relate to in what happened to me. And this is, uh, you know, going into lockdown when we went from brick and mortar to lockdown, uh, being the only instructional technologist for our district, 14 schools, it, it, it was showtime for me. You know, I had just finished my master's in ed tech and I'm like, yeah, you know, I feel like a fish in water. So I was on 24 seven, you know, I was doing trainings. I was doing about six trainings per day, Monday through Friday, getting, you know, teachers up to date on the platforms and so on. And it just went that for that whole year. And then it moved into that whole next year. But as, like you said, I'm passionate about this and in, in the ed tech and helping teachers and being in the classroom myself, you know, just thinking about teachers and what can I do going to bed, at 11 and still, you know, posting things on Google Classroom, posting things and resources so teachers can have what they have. I'll tell you what, that when I came back and we came back sort of like to brick and mortar, I was just, I, I couldn't handle it. Like I was, I, I didn't know what this feeling was. I was like, what's going on with me? Like, I just don't feel on, I feel just off. And then all of a sudden, you know, that whole year went by. And finally this year, I feel like, man, this is great. It's a fresh start. I'm feeling good, like I'm kind of recovering from that, but it was a very interesting time for me during yeah. that that whole year. And a couple of things that I learned when I first started hearing the term uh, teacher burnout is, man, you know, just kind of that, that being very uh, just tired, being very kind of frustrated or just all of this all at once. And then trying to recover from that while still doing your job yeah. is something that is something that's difficult. So um, how about just talking a little bit about that? Because I know my, my sure. experience was very difficult. Again, like I said, you're trying to recover. Mm -hmm. And so you're trying to make that space and those boundaries, but still you're, you're hitting those barriers and then there's other stuff happening. Yeah. What has been your experience or even in talking with educators about that? Sure. And obviously I've had my own experiences, which are similar. And what I, actually started looking at this in the research because obviously I went through it myself uh, as a new teacher. You get overloaded. I was teaching three to four preps per year from the start. I had uh, zero planning periods. I think my best year, I had one planning period every other day. And, you know, there's just no time to think about what you're doing. You just have to be on at every second of the day and at home. And it's, it's too much to really bear and actually also do a great job, right? Because a part of this is always, you don't wanna just get through it. You actually want to excel. Like when you're talking about helping teachers in uh, their Google classrooms, you don't wanna do a lousy job at it. You don't want them to leave your trainings unprepared, but that means there's even extra burden on you because you're not getting the time and resources to plan out those trainings and really work through it. You have to jump in and go. So it's really difficult when you're in those situations. So when I pulled back and I was like, okay, let me forget about my personal situation for a second. And let me look at the research and what's going on. Burnout happens because there are multiple contributors, multiple factors that are affecting teachers at the same time. So the problem is 
you can never isolate those factors and say, I'm going to work on this thing. So maybe one of the things that's burning you out is that you don't have enough planning time. Well, you don't get to conceptualize, how do I advocate for more planning time? How do I figure out a way to be more efficient in my planning? While you also have something else burning you out, like I don't have enough money and I need to figure out how to pay my bills this weekend and I probably need a second job and that's going to also affect my time, right? So when you have multiple contributors at the same time, uh, a lot of people will say, hey, well, why are teachers so burnt out? And they're looking for that one fix, that one solution. What's the one thing we can make an impact on? And they're not realizing that we can't pull these things out individually. It'll never happen. Uh, even at my worst, when I was feeling the most burnt out, I had a lot of administrative pressure and I was in an interesting situation where I had some great school leaders and I had some not great school leaders and they all had an impact on my day to day. So all of a sudden I would be pulled out from things that were very important to me, like planning for my students or one-on-one -on -one student conferences or something along those lines, because I had to deal with paperwork that I saw no purpose to. And that wouldn't be used for anything. So now all of a sudden you're dealing with administration uh, struggles and pressure. You're dealing with the time management that just cannot be fixed. I'm dealing with an overload of students. I've got too many. And you can't fix one of those issues and say, well, your burnout is cured. And it's frustrating to people, right? Because when you think about how do we fix it, there's no giant systematic change that we can make on the whole education system that will fix the issue of burnout. We can do a lot of things to reduce the impact, but we can't just do a one clear shot and we're done and everything's better because there's too much happening at the same time. And you have to encompass all of it when you think about reducing that burnout. Yeah. And you know, what you're saying too is just, that's what we noticed on the, on the coming back this first year when we came back to brick and mortar. And I love what Amanda said here, you know, in her comments as those who didn't experience lockdown expected things to go right back to the way they were. Yeah. They didn't know some still don't what our life, what our lived experience was and that we had burnout. And then she states here coming back and setting boundaries became a need, not a want. And so now that's something that we're seeing, something that really kind of helped me too was, you know, kind of putting a boundary wherever it is that I could, but then obviously recovering that, be, recovering from that because I still had to do my job and it's something that I am passionate about. And like you said, it's very interesting to know that, you know, I guess in a way that teachers are feeling this way because they do care and they have a passion for their profession. And not only do they want to succeed, they want the students to succeed. And, you know, we, there's that dish where they just keep piling on, on some of those things. And so I'm very happy to say like with our district, it's been great that I was talking to you in the pre-chat where our district leaders have kind of seen things and, and kind of approaching things differently. They, they are kind of seeing the climate, they're checking what, what is going on. And I talked to you about uh, Amy Minter, who was on the show um, and she meant coined the term, uh, the twatty, which is, this is the way we've always done it, which is something that can also lead to burnout where you do the same thing over and over and you're expecting different results, but it doesn't work. Maybe because I call it where I learned about the hippo effect, which is the highest paid person in the room making the decisions, which sometimes can also lead to burnout because things may not work that way because you're not getting that feedback. 
But I'm glad to say that, like I said, our district is taking some action. And um, so that's all you hear now where they're saying, oh, that's Twati. We need to change that. And oh, no, no, that's the Twati. We need to make sure and change those things. So that's something good to hear. But that's not always the case that we see in many other districts. Right. So uh, let's go back a little bit, uh, Kevin, to you because you talked about you know, some burnout and you talked about the, the, your definition of burnout. But for anybody that is out there that is not familiar with this, because I know that in your comment section or in our comment yeah. section as educators, people just don't understand. They're like, oh, no, it's just called work. Tough it out and, you know, do this. But because they, they're not living that experience, uh, can you just tell us a little bit more as far as maybe some what to look for to understand burnout? Like what are some stages or some symptoms, things that, you know, maybe we should look out for if you have a friend or family member that is in education and maybe they don't voice what they're feeling, but things that we can look out for to possibly help. Sure. And it's an important question that you're asking because when it comes to the actual burnout cycle, right, it starts at a really good place. It starts at passion. It starts at, I love this job. I love the ideals of it and what I'm entering into. So when you begin that burnout cycle, you're actually beginning it from a place of passion. You're not starting it from a place of anger or frustration or anything like that. Obviously, that all comes as you begin to burn out more and more. But the symptoms are very difficult to notice at first. And that's also why burnout is so powerful, because a lot of people tough it out for a very long time, way past what their emotional load can carry until they're at a point where it's very difficult to recover from and they want to quit instead because that's the only way really to protect themselves. So what you're looking for at the start of burnout uh, and somebody maybe who's out of the field that wants to support teachers and say, I don't know what's going on with you. What should I be looking for? Those beginning symptoms, they're very difficult to catch, but they are there. So one of the most important symptoms that you should be looking for is isolation. And there are people that are introverted, right? So everybody has their different level of uh, how much they communicate, how much they engage with other people. But you want to start looking at, is somebody withdrawing a little bit? And the thing about burnout is it doesn't stay in school. It's not like in a nice little box. Like I'm only burnt out when I'm at work and then I come home and everything's perfect, right? It does start to impact every aspect of our life. So if you notice somebody that used to sit with teachers at lunch, and hang out and talk shop a little bit. And now all of a sudden they're locked in their own room every day and they don't want any visitors. They don't want to talk during the school day. And then you start to notice they go home and what used to be a couple hours of hanging out with their family or their friends uh, or maybe getting on the phone with somebody and all of a sudden those phone calls stop or all of a sudden they're retreating to their room or diving into their phone or their TV and not really communicating the way they used to. So, ooh, they're withdrawn. That might be an issue. So the other one that I think is a huge look for is guilt. So you have withdrawal and then you have guilt. So remember, burnout starts with, I'm passionate about this job, but I don't feel like I'm doing enough to access the rewards, right? So that guilt comes in when you start hearing teachers say, oh, I'm not doing enough. I need to be more for my students. I need to be there more. I need to spend more time. Uh, I can't believe I let them down this lesson bomb. They deserve better than that for me. I should plan an extra two hours today, right? And you can almost hear it when I say it out loud, but you often don't think about it when you're in it. So what you should be thinking 
as a teacher who is not burned out, who just remains passionate, loves their job, is comments that make you feel self-efficacy. I'm good at my job. I'm capable. I'm learning from this experience. I might not have this all down yet, but I definitely have the tools to do that. Those are like those empowering, uplifting messages. When you start hearing the opposite, uh, I'm not doing enough. I don't feel like I'm good at this job. Those are big signs of burnout because again, it's something you want to be good at. So if you're not accessing it, boom, there's your barrier. There is the issue that's getting your burnout. So those are your two biggest signs. And one last thing, just to make a comment on it's important, is when you're teaching, and I know you know this, Fonds, there are times where you've got to cope with some difficult situations. And a lot of them are outside your control, right? Could be a tragedy with a student. It could be some kind of trauma face. Um, I mean, we all went through the pandemic. I was still teaching in the pandemic. Uh, so we've gone through some of those experiences. How you cope also determines how quickly you burn out. If you rely on negative coping mechanisms, and it's kind of taboo in this field, but you know there is alcoholism, there is drug use in the field. Uh, there are teachers that have a lot of difficulty coping with the emotional burdens that we face on a daily basis. And those negative coping mechanisms make it harder for you to recover and easier for you to burn out. So it's really important also to evaluate those coping mechanisms. Am I doing positive things that build me up and make me resilient? Am I doing negative things that make it easier for burnout to see that? Wow. You know, and thank you so much for sharing that because obviously, you know, I know that this has been a topic that, you know, has been everywhere, but the way that you described it, just making it so simple. And again, it's so important, you know, for many educators that their families or two are informed because they can see those things. And how can we help? What can we do? And thank you so much for sharing that because we definitely need a support system for our teachers. And I kind of wanted to touch a little bit on what you're saying, you know, because we do come with a place uh, from a place of passion. I mean, my thing was being in the classroom with my kids and knowing that they weren't all dealt the same hand and making sure that they feel safe, making sure that they have a community, making sure that they can come into my classroom. You know, sometimes you do take that person like these are my kids. Yeah. I want to take care of them. But how much of burnout also comes from, I guess, from that administrative standpoint, we're, we're basing a lot of emphasis on standardized testing. And so what I see oftentimes is that those tests or then those benchmarks or those uh, little mini assessments, and then they get the data and all of a sudden they go have those teacher talks. And yeah. then going back to teacher being passionate, thinking she's doing great. And now all of a sudden somebody's telling her like, you know what, you're, you're not, you're not doing what we expect you to do or what you need to do. What are some ways that maybe from an administ administrative standpoint, those can be handled maybe a little bit differently rather than just boom, here you go. You're not doing as well as you thought. And then having the teacher just go into this uh, state. For sure. Uh, you know, that this micromanaging kind of problem, it, first we have to remember school leaders are also under pressure, right? So I don't like to dog out school leaders as much as I can help it because a lot of them are trying their best, but then there's school board or there's. Superintendent are also saying this curriculum and now they have to roll that out. And they're also in a difficult position because they know the teachers and students, if they're doing their job well, and 
they understand the needs of the school, but they also are pressured by the needs from the local central office, the district, whatever it may be. So it's a balancing act all over the place. And it's difficult for everyone to navigate that. Uh, so I came up with, I call it the rock metaphor. And let's say that your job in life and your passion is there's a giant rock in your driveway. And you have dedicated your life to figuring out how to move this rock so it's out of the way. So you went out to school, you did a four-year bachelor degree, maybe you even did graduate studies, tried to learn all the best methods for moving this rock. And then you get hired. Now it's your chance. Now it's time to move the rock. And you go out there and you've got this whole plan. You, you've studied the geography of it. You've studied uh, the science of how this rock is going to move. And you're out there, you've got all your tools, you're prepared. And then your boss comes up to you and says, no, but you can't do it that way. In fact, what I need you to do is hammer that rock three more inches into the ground, and then you're only allowed to push with one hand, and I can't give you any of those other tools you need. Sorry, good luck, right? That's what it feels like when you're burning out and you don't have that administrative support. It feels like when you're pushing against this barrier, instead of them helping you lift it, or at least giving you tools so that you can lift it, they're actually pounding the rock in further and saying, now good luck. So they might be doing something that they feel is well-intentioned. Hey, I'm rolling up this program that should help you. But without tapping into your expertise as the teacher, all you're seeing is you've created a bunch of extra work for me. You haven't created solutions. You've created work. Uh, and I'll give you a great example of what this looks like. Uh, one year, they had me roll out a program for all of my freshman students. I had about 200 at the time. And they said, every freshman student, you need to have a weekly meeting with for five minutes during class time. And you have to document a sheet about your relationship building with those students. Now, me being the teacher professional, I understand the importance of building a relationship with my students. And I also understand the importance of spending one-on-one -on -one direct time with each student to really foster those relationships and make it grow. But now to add the worksheet to it that had to be handwritten and filled out weekly, well, now that's an extra, you know, two minutes of my time per student. Multiply that by 200. How do I do that during the school day? So it feels like a punishment, not like accessing the tools that I need to actually help my students. That's the issue. So when we have administrators who really want to help and you say, I know my teachers are burning out. I understand that they need resources, they need tools. How do I go about that? One of the most important things you can think of, school leader, is autonomy. How do you give teachers autonomy to dictate what curriculum, what programs are coming in, and more importantly, how we use those things? And I've seen examples of that where great school leaders will even say, I've gotten this program, and this is something we have to use, but now you as the teachers I'm going to provide you time and space to review the program, understand it, get training on it, uh, you know, not taking away from other things, but I'm going to give you this time. And then I'm going to have you decide how we use this program. Is this going to be a weekly thing, a monthly thing, an annual thing? How is it going to look in your classrooms? How is it going to work for you rather than become work for you? That's what great school leaders are doing. So think about where your teacher autonomy can be. And if you can't give them autonomy in something, how can you at least let them in on the decision-making process from the very start instead of surprise pop-up? 
you're here from the start, you understand what we're doing and why, and now you at least have autonomy over what it looks like in your classroom. You know, and I love that you said that is, uh, and I'm going to go ahead and share something that our district did this year, which was something that was very different from the past couple of years that I've been there. Like you said, you know, there's always programs that come in and say, okay, this is what you're going to do. And that's it. There's no nothing else. Like, you know, and oftentimes it's like, I, I refer to that hippo effect, the highest paid person in the room makes the decision, but without giving any regard to the expertise that is there in the room, you know? And so sometimes, you know, those come, I, I don't know if they actually come from an area of like, oh yeah, I'm out, like, this is the way it's going to go, but they do mean well, but sometimes it's like, you know, there's no teacher input. Well, normally we do programs every year, but this year, or this past year, before we started this year, we sent out a survey and say, hey, teachers, what are some of the programs that you're using? We were curious to know because we want to make it available to everybody. So they actually sent out survey, came back. We took the highest uh, you know, rated ones. Then we sent out another form and saying, okay, look, these are the ones that we would like to standardize on. Can you please vote? And so this year, as my colleague and I have gone out to the district to train on these programs that were voted on by teachers, well, one thing that I noticed is that we got less pushback from teachers saying, no, I don't want to use this. No, I don't like this. No, they, they were willing to, okay, cool. Let me show me what it can do. Oh, I really like this. Or I know how I might be able to tie this in and sprinkle it on to what I'm already doing great. And the buy-in has been so good this year and the teachers have been on board and that's something that I definitely want to give a shout out to the district because like I said I noticed it this year and the teachers have just been amazing and to work with this year as far as diving into those platforms like you said and you know we're telling you how you can use it and then also what helped out too was actually sharing with them what the minimum expectation is for the use of these programs, which for some, it was twice a week for 30 minutes, math and reading. And then of course, it's up to them if they want to use it more than that, which we do have teachers that will do more. But again, just setting that at the very beginning definitely helped out a lot. And a lot of teachers, like I said, I was like, wow, this, this is a different year. Things are going well, things are changing. And so it's the little things that for me, I'm like, I get excited about because I know my teachers are are good, you know? <laughs> yeah. And if I can jump in on that too, how hard was it to actually accomplish that? It's really as simple as you sent out a survey and you actually paid attention to the results. It's not something that took years of effort and, you know, hundreds of hours of labor to try to figure out how we do this thing. It's just having that foresight of our teachers' opinions are actually important and valid. And if we use that from the start and they're in it from the start, and it's not, they're halfway through a semester, they've already created their plans. And now, by the way, you've got to use this program for 30 minutes twice a week, right? When they've already done their planning and they've already figured out their own curriculum. So just having that foresight is such a key step for school leaders at any level to create that buy-in and alleviate some of the burnout. Absolutely. Yeah. And so it's been great. I, I want to touch here on what Amanda says that for Amanda also her experience it says we asked teachers what PD they wanted during their workday in our district and it's been rehumanizing and respectful of their time so I mean it, something so small can go yeah, a long way time like that yeah <laughs> so it's been great well Kevin let's talk a little bit more here just because I kind of wanted to see if there's a tie-in here because obviously we've all heard the term like quiet quitting yep. and all those things so 
as far as burnout, we can see all that we feel as a teacher, somebody that's passionate. And then we just sometimes we feel like we're not getting the help that we need and making those adjustments. So how does burnout or how have you seen burnout also lead into quiet quitting possibly? Like, you know, how do those two tie together if there is a tie? Oh, there's absolutely a tie in. And I think the difference between those two terms, and I don't love the term quiet quitting because I think it puts a lot of the burden on the employee and none on the employer, right? So that's where I think, I don't know if I love the term itself, but when you think about the actual concept, when you're burnt out at the beginning, you want to push through it, right? Because remember, you don't hate your job. You, you hate how it's being performed or how it's being micromanaged or things like that, but you love the job. You love what it represents and you love the ideals of it. So when you start burning out and you're pushing through, you're pushing through, your health deteriorates physically and mentally and emotionally. So in all those aspects of your life, you become less capable than you were because your health is suffering. So when you think about what quiet quitting actually is or what it does to a person, burnout almost forces you into that role because you don't have the energy to do anything else. You don't have the commitment or the available space to say, I'm going to go above and beyond. So if you think about it in the context of, let's say a new teacher, uh, because the people that are most likely to burn out are teachers in the first five years. That's what the research shows time and time again. So when you're in that first couple of years, you might say yes to everything. You don't have that job security yet. You don't feel, you know, totally stable at what you're doing. You might not even feel like you're great at what you're doing yet. So you start agreeing. Yes, I'll coach this sport. Yes, I'll run this club. Sure, I'll chaperone the dance. Why not? And then by year three or four, now you've been pushing through burnout for a couple of years. Now maybe you've collected some negative coping mechanisms. So maybe you're overeating and you're living a very inactive life, right? So now your physical health is deteriorating. You're getting colds and flus more often, things like that. But then also emotionally, you're starting to shut down. You're isolating. You might be feeling depressed. you know, your energy levels are just getting sucked right out of you every day before you even enter the school place. So then when somebody asks you, hey, can you chaperone that dance again? I know you did it last year, right? You still want to help us out? You're looking at them like, even if I wanted to, I don't think I can, right? If I have to come back to the school at seven o'clock and I know people that do this, they will go to school all day, go home, and then they've got to come back for an event and they're crying in their car. Because they don't know where they're going to pull the energy out to put on a face that will be supportive to the students. And remember, this is all done at the cost of they want to do it for the students. They care. But as you burn out more and more, those physical impacts really take a toll to where you're almost forced into quiet quitting. I can't do anything extra now. Uh, The other piece of it is burnout leads to cynicism. So teachers might start to feel like No matter how much effort I put into this, clearly it'll never be enough. So the logical conclusion that they might come to is, well, then none of it works. So if none of this works, what am I putting in extra for? All I'm going to do is care about my students, love on them during the school day, give them the best I can in terms of content, and then I'm fucking out. Physically and mentally, I'm fucking out. So that might be the teacher that says, you know what? I'm not filling out any of those data sheets anymore. No, I might not even make lesson plans. I already know what I'm teaching. I might just have a little post-it, but I'm not turning anything in. And what are they going to do? Fire me during a teacher shortage? 
that's where that attitude comes from. It's that burnout that leads to cynicism that says, I don't have the resources physically or mentally to commit to this job the way they need me to. And I don't even see the purpose of it. So I'm going to do what I think is best and everything else has to shut down. Wow. <laughs> that is, yeah. yeah, that is such a great, great explanation that you gave there. And everything that you played through there, those scenarios, I'm just like, wow. And, and this is what I hear. And this is what I see educators going through. And it's just, uh, wow. And Amanda, thank you so much again for your comments. As educators, this included leaders shouldn't have to spend weekends and holidays resting from toxic work cultures and burnouts. So yeah, sometimes it's, that's what it is that we're doing. Yeah, well, Kevin. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say real quick. I, uh, I do a lot about holidays because if all of your holiday is, is recovery, then what happens is you actually get off your routine, right? You sleep in all day. You feel lethargic because you really are just recovering from that toxicity and that trauma that you're dealing with. So you don't actually get to enjoy your break and you're also thrown off so that when you go back to work at 5 a.m., 6 a.m., uh, you know, when the break is over, not only are you not, you know, back at it, you're actually in a worse position to handle your job. So uh, it's, it's another huge sign of burnout. How do your breaks look? And, you know, when you start evaluating that, it could be a really key indicator that, I'm, I'm too far into this burnout. I need to take action now. Wow. You know, and then my, my breaks, usually I look forward to, I'm like, Hey, it's Thanksgiving break. And then it's Christmas break. And honestly, what I look forward to there, I was like, I get to do more podcasting because this right here, like Saturday mornings, this is my, uh, you know, like this is my stress reliever. This is my thing, you know? And if, if I don't do this on a Saturday morning, you know, things of that sort, like, I just feel like, oh, man, you know, so this is my great outlet. And more than anything, I get to connect with other educators such as yourself and learn. And, and that's that's my thing there, too. So this is what really helps. And I love Saturday mornings for that, too. And, of course, the breaks. Uh, but, Kevin, let's talk a little bit about also uh, your work. I mean, I, I know we talked about burnout. This is the main thing that we wanted to talk about, too, as well. But uh, not only are you also just involved with uh, with these kind of talks, but you're also an author. So I definitely want to give you an opportunity to please share, you know, the work that you've been work that you've put out, because I know you recently you put out a book with a couple of other educators, Matt Rhodes included, who's also been on the show here as well. And so tell us a little bit about that project, which is the most recent project, which I see there, 50 Tips for New Teachers. So tell us about it and, uh, you know, what what can we look forward to in getting that book? Yeah, so I really appreciate that opportunity. It's It was so cool. I, I was really thrilled when they contacted me. So I wrote this with Matt Rhodes, uh, Sam Fesich, and Casey Jakubowski, uh, Jakubowski. Uh, we all have doctorates. So we're all kind of researchers in the space, but we're all practitioners at different areas and different levels. So I always thought about writing a book for new teachers because that's where my dissertation was, new teacher burnout. So I'm like so dialed into that topic. I love new teachers. And in the state that education is in right now, we need to keep every new teacher we can. And not only that, we need to help them grow and feel great about the profession to restore some of that dignity that we need in the profession. So I wanted to write that book and then they happened to contact me and said, hey, we need some pieces on burnout. I've done a lot of work with uh, social emotional learning and mindset. They're like, we need some uh, some articles on that as well. Would you be willing to jump in on this? I'm like, yes, I'm so in. Let's go. So uh, it, I, you know, I didn't know that it was going to come together so well and so quickly. Uh, but, you know, about a year's worth of effort 
and a lot of back and forth, a lot of meetings, uh, a lot of writing for sure. And now we have this wonderful book. And the way we set it up, we have 50 tips for new teachers. Each tip is typically a page. So it's just really quick to digest. And then the next page is an activity to help you practice that tip. So for a new teacher that might say, you know what? I'm struggling with classroom management right now. They can find a tip and there's plenty of them on classroom management, read the tip, absorb it, and then do the activity and see it after that activity. They've kind of planned it out better in their mind and how it impacts their classroom. Teachers feeling burnt out, oh, go to one of the burnout tips. And now you actually have an actionable strategy to go with it. So that was one of the fun features of the book. The other thing we did, which was actually really fun to record, I mean, it's kind of like podcasting. We did four critical conversations. So we took areas that are really difficult to talk about, things that maybe you don't hear about uh, when you talk in actual like school, right? When you're training to become a teacher, things like how do you deal with a tragedy on campus? Uh, what if a, uh, a student commits suicide or there's some, some major traumatic event that happens at your school? How do you, how do you process that yourself as a teacher? And then how do you speak to students about those things as they're happening? So we've been in those situations. We're like, we should share that with new teachers because when we went through those things, it was just good luck. And we're all going to just figure it out together. That's tough to do. So we wanted to have this as a really good entrance book for somebody that's new to the profession. There's, you know, research-based activities, but this is what it really looks like from experience. And we're here for you. So it's great. It's um, you know, we're already in, talk, in talks about some book studies with districts on it. A lot of new teacher programs are looking to pick it up. So uh, I think it's going to be a really valuable tool. Yeah, I, I absolutely see the value in that because, I mean, coming in, transitioning from business into education, really without any training, it was an alternative certification. It was like an emergency certification. So I remember my first day in service. Okay, cool. Everything's great. Getting to meet teachers and not really understanding anything because it's not my world. I'm kind of like hopping into this place brand new. But then I remember that what they gave me is just two binders with transparencies. Here are your lessons. So we're, I was using transparencies. I'm aging myself there. But, you know, I didn't have anything like this. But I luckily I did have some great mentors. But I can definitely see the value that this has. And most importantly, like you mentioned, what I love is you provide the research, but you provide that activity. And it's it's almost like, hey, you know what? You just sprinkle it on here and there, tweak it, make it your own. And that's the best thing that I love, that the teacher can take those activities, internalize them, and then just remix them and make them their own and create their own space. And I think that's a, definitely a valuable tool. And I was just thinking right now, I was like, Man, this would be something that I would like to share with our district leaders as well and see if it would be possible for something to share because we are getting a lot of new teachers in the field and we want to make sure that we prepare them and, you know, give them those tools that they can start off with and feel comfortable and not feel overwhelmed. So that's great. Uh, Amanda here says, are there book study materials available on your site? I like to share them with our induction team. That's so good. Our, uh, yeah, as well. <laughs> yep. I think we've all been there. Um, so we're working on the book study materials to be uploaded on the website. We do have a webinar up there and we're going to have another webinar soon. They're free uh, and it has great information directly from the book in a conversational form that helps you see what kind of content is really in this book and what you'd be receiving. So if you go to 50teachertips.com, 
Uh, you're welcome to check out the materials we have so far. And I'm looking forward to getting more out there because I, I'm with you. I think mentorship is so important. And if you have a tool like this that helps structure some of those conversations and it helps the new teacher see what am I dealing with that I maybe haven't thought about yet or what, what didn't I uh, receive in school that now I'm actually in the field and I realize that I need it. This can help give you that structure. And then if you pair that with a strong mentor, you've got a new teacher that's going to stick around and do really well. Perfect, man. That is so great. And of course, with Matt and, and Sam, I'm very familiar with their work. And so I'm really excited that you guys put this together. And again, like I did talk to Matt, it's I would love to have all of you, the authors, you know, come on the show. And then that way we can go ahead and talk about this, because like I said, and I, I can see it in my mind, the way that this could, would work out in our district, too. Yeah. And so it's really exciting stuff. Uh, Kevin, tell us a little bit more, too, about as far as where our audience members can go ahead and uh, reach out to you or contact you. Sure. Uh, I'm most active on Twitter and TikTok. I did not think I was going to be a TikToker. And then, uh, you know, we've been laughing about this. They're, they're calling me the TikTok pink top teacher. So uh, I, I'm on there. The, uh, my tag there is TLC Educates. Uh, and... I, I really enjoy that platform because it gives you short little bites where I can really be authentic and I can tell you, look, this is what the research says. This is what my actual experience is. And we can actually have a lot of great dialogue on it because the comments that come in, I can pop those up on a video too. We can have great back and forth there. So uh, I'm on TikTok and then I'm on Twitter at Kevin Lightman, uh, same spelling as my name here. And uh, I'm happy to connect with everyone that's in education especially love talking to educators. Uh, as you know, Fonz, I'm out of the classroom now. I'm still adjuncting at the college level, but I'm out of the K to 12 classroom. And uh, I get a little antsy. Like I, I kind of want to be back in. I can't do it right now, but like, you know, I want to have that back and forth. I want to know what's still going on. Yeah, no, and that's wonderful. And I, again, I love your content. And again, thank you so much for coming in uniform. So I love it because I, I know I reached out to you. I think it was probably after that video that I reached out and I said, you know what? I need to get Kevin on here. This is such a great topic, the stuff that you're putting out there. And it's just great to see educator slash creator. And the whole point also is just connecting the education community and being able to put out, you know, great information, great content and going back and forth and having those dialogues. So that's one thing that I've loved about that platform and finding authentic, genuine educators that are passionate and really care about this. And of course, as you know, that's the mission and vision of our show, just finding those passionate educators slash creators to continue to move the education needle forward and uh, seeing how we can better our space with all of the knowledge, the collective knowledge that we have. So thank you so much for today, Kevin. It's been a wonderful conversation. All your insight. I, I have so many sound bites here that I'm just excited. I'm going to be putting these out, uh, you know, this week. And Again, thank you so much for the work that you're doing and continue to do. And I wish you the best in everything that you do from here on forward. And I'll definitely be following you on Twitter. And I know that this won't be the last time you'll be on the show. I know we'll definitely have further conversations. But before we go, this is my favorite segment of the show where we kind of end on these last three questions. And so, Kevin, here we go. Question number one for you. In the current state of education, what would you say is your current edu kryptonite <laughs> my current edu kryptonite is probably rigor i think uh 
you know, hate to go right to the buzzword, but every time I hear that, I feel like you're trying to make something look like something else. So it looks more difficult. So it'll work. And uh, every time I hear that, I already feel like weak at the knees. Like this is what I got to fight against. <sighs> that is such a great answer. I love it. I love it. All right. Question number two, Kevin, if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? It would be, thank you, teacher. I love you. I think our public perception right now of teaching is so poor. It's, it's undeserved and it's, it's just, it's disheartening for teachers to see what's being said about them in the public. So if I had a billboard space, just thank you, teacher. I love you. Those are the words they need to hear more than anything else right now. Wonderful. Great answer, Kevin. All right, Kevin. Now let's say that this was the tank top TikTok teacher podcast. Wow. That didn't come out. That's that what well. I told you, right? The tongue twister. All right. Let's say that this was the TikTok tank top teacher podcast and I was your guest. What would be one question you'd like to ask me? I would say if you were considering bringing in ed tech to an unfamiliar teacher or an unfamiliar classroom, how can you bridge the gap from somebody that maybe doesn't have a lot of experience with ed tech? How do you make it work for them instead of making them work for the tech? You know, for me, th this is something that I've loved and I am a big fan and proponent of making things as easy as possible. So anytime that I ever start a training, you know, I always tell the teachers like, hey, you know, you control the tech. The tech doesn't control you. But more than anything, I always want to lighten the mood and say, hey, you know what? Just get clicky with it. You're not going to break anything. I said, there's two moves. In case something goes wrong, you click the refresh button or sign out and sign back in and you're good. Two moves. But again, it's just really just bridging what it is that they want to do or that they need to accomplish. But again, giving them also the autonomy of how to use it and saying, you know, what you are already doing great here can only be enhanced slightly or maybe just a little bit more by sprinkling it, on, sprinkling on this additional layer of tech. So I don't want you to feel overwhelmed. And, you know, and so that's really the, what I start doing is just really building up the teacher, building up that relationship, that trust, knowing that if anything were to happen, you're just getting clicky with it, refresh, but that at any time, you do need some additional support. You've got my extension and I'll be more than happy to come by and help and we can work through it together. So for myself, it's it's really, you need those coaches to have that relationship and the teachers also just need to open up and trust. And it's okay for teachers also to know that it's okay to not know everything, you know? And that's what we're here for. We're here to help each other out. So I think that's the easiest approach is just get clicky with it. Let's see what we're trying to do. Have some fun with it. And then, of course, if they have fun with it, then, you know, they can transfer that fun also to the kids and get some new ideas. And also one more point, don't be afraid to let the kids teach you something out of these platforms, too, as well, because I and I always tell the story from my first block to my fourth block. I only looked good in my fourth block because of what I learned first through third. And I look like the expert in fourth, but it's because I learned from my teacher, from my students who are my teachers. So it's okay to be a little vulnerable and not have the answer, but you can work through it together.
hundred percent. That's a great answer. <laughs> uh, maybe a little long, but I just love that. That's one of my favorite it's things. Your passion. To talk about. That's what I'm talking about. I like yeah. that feel the passion. <laughs> exactly. Well, Kevin, again, thank you so much. It's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much, Amanda. Thank you so much for all of your comments. Josh Dovar, who is also a wonderful uh, administrator. Thank you so much from for joining us from the gym. I know you're probably either on the treadmill or lifting some weights, but thank you. Thank you so much. And for all of you that are listening or going to be re-watching this later on, thank you again from the bottom of my heart for all of your support. It really means a lot to me for what, what you have helped us accomplish through your views, through your shares, um, and of course, through your reviews. So please make sure you continue to stop by our website, myedtech.life, myedtech.life, so you can check out this wonderful episode along with the other 147 episodes that we have from teachers all over the world, teachers with different backgrounds, educators and creators. I am sure that you will be able to find something for your needs that you can sprinkle on to what you are already doing great. So don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to us on all social media. And again, if you want to contribute to our mission and vision of connecting educators and creators in our education landscape, feel free to drop by our store also as well on our website where you can find yourself some nice sweaters for the cold weather. We've got some caps, stickers, accessories, all of that. And all of that goes back into the podcast to continue to elevate and continue to do this amazing work that we get to do in Connecting Educators. So thank you as always from the bottom of my heart. Make sure that you follow Kevin on all social media as well. All the links will be posted on our episode notes. And my friends, as always, until next time, don't forget, stay techy.